1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to begin in verse number 1. These first 11 verses deal specifically with what we would we would call spiritual gifts. But remember, we're in a section here of some, some, some verses, chapter 11, chapter 12, and on, that have to do with how we honor others as we gather publicly for our worship. And so Paul specifically in these verses teaches us about spiritual gifts. We're going to find him to be teaching that no member of the body of Christ is inferior and no member of the body of Christ is superior, that God has appointed gifts in this body so that the members will care for one another and that they are able to care for one another. So if you, you know, just to put the analogy of the body out there, if you were having trouble seeing, what would you get? Some what? Some glasses or eye surgery. Yeah, that kind of a thing. And I know glasses are not a part of a physical body, but you know, if, if a church is having trouble seeing and someone can function as the eyeglasses, well then praise the Lord for that person who can function in that regard. And so it is with the body of Christ. So we're going to see Paul point that out here just a little bit. Now, in, in, in regards to the gifting that he gives in the body of Christ, we find that there is a diversity of gifts. As if God planned the body of Christ in its function to be able to handle or cover Anything necessary. Do you believe God is able to plan such things? Surely he is. So when we think about our role, my role, your role, and this local assembly, the role of Harpeth Baptist Church in, 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 in the global scheme of the universal church, we mustn't see anything as inferior or superior, or we shouldn't see anything as more comely or less comely. We should see all of these things as God intended them to be. We are gifted. We are enabled as God intended us to be, to be able to serve as the body of Christ. Each person's place in the body is assigned by who? God. If we think about it like that, there are no big eyes, little U's. There's nobody saying, well, I can't do anything. Each of us has a function. Each of us has a place. As we go, we'll find that the priority of love in all of these things is what takes center stage. Why don't we just start our reading there tonight. Chapter 12, verse 31. He says, but covet earnestly the best gifts. You do that at Christmas time. This is a little different than what Paul is talking about here, but it's not too far off. He just finished talking about all of the spiritual gifts. And then he says, covet earnestly the best gifts. And yet I show unto you a more excellent way if you're trying to get from kingston springs to dixon and you were telling me boy it's just gotten to where it takes 15 or 20 minutes it used to take five and i'll say there's a better way and this is the route you should go would that be a problem no that'd be a great thing and this is what paul says here covet earnestly the best gifts but i'm going to show you a more excellent way what is the more excellent way though i speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not charity I'm become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. We'll get on into chapter 13 here in a couple of weeks. But we see love as the primary motivator. God's gifted us as the body of Christ to be able to care and function together for one another. And no big eyes, no little use. Everyone plays an important role. Each one's role is assigned by God. And in the end, if we let love win out, it will all be productive. What a wonderful thought this is. Let's pray, and then we're going to look at verse 1 down through probably verse 6 or 7 tonight. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word that guides us.
We often joke in life that only if I had a manual for this, well, you have given us a wonderful one. So help us to read it, to know what it says, and to obey it. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that guides us into all truth. We pray for your blessing upon this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 1, he says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away unto these dumb idols, even as you were led. Wherefore, I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and self-same Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. Now in these first three verses... Paul begins by addressing the Holy Spirit. Because when we talk about these gifts, we see them as the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We'll get more into this in just a moment. But we understand the three are one in the Godhead. So this is not to give significance over one or the other. But when we think about gifts in the modern church, why do we give the, the recognition to the Holy Spirit? Outside, that's what the Bible says. What's, what's another logical reason there? Because he is who is with us now. Had we lived in the time of Christ and we were some, one of the 70 that he sent out and they were able to heal, we would say, I can heal because Jesus made me able to heal. Well, if you have some gifting in the modern church, you would say it's because the Holy Spirit has given me this gifting. So we need to take these things and think of them logically and be careful that we don't allow um, a charismatic philosophy or mentality to keep us from enjoying the goodness of God's word and for sure to keep us from enjoying the fullness of a life lived filled with the Holy Spirit, being filled with God's Holy Spirit. As I thought through this, I thought it would be a great travesty to preach on such a passage in a divisive manner. To talk about, well, these people believe this and these people believe that and we believe this and this is why we're right and they're wrong and all of this. When in reality, what is the Holy Spirit's job? What does he do? He, he is part of that which binds us together. In fact, as Paul writes here and he addresses the Corinthians for their poor understanding or poor use of the gifting they have through the Holy Spirit, it's unique to me that he still calls them brothers. Verse number one, he says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, brethren, he's not saying, hey, you guys are charismatic, so I'm breaking fellowship with you. You guys, all you ever do is want to speak in tongues, so we, we can't get around you anymore. Now, that's hard for a Baptist to swallow, but it's the truths of God's word. Now, initially, he says concerning spiritual gifts. And in regards to this, he says, don't be ignorant. Don't be uninformed in regards to spiritual gifts. Now, how many of you in your Bible, the word gifts is italicized? You see that? Everybody see that? All right. So here's a neat thing to learn about Bible translation. Anytime a word in the Bible is italicized, 
It means that the translators added a word that was not in the original texts that they were using to translate from. Does that hurt some of your feelings? <laughs> oh no, they've added to the Bible. Yes, sir, brother. Well, mine is, and it is. That's, that is unique because yours does not. What, what do we want to understand here? They added something that contextually was clarifying. This was the idea. And you will find this happens all throughout Scripture. A good way to think about it is a fossil record. So you go down to the museum somewhere, D.C., New York, and they have all of these dinosaurs. It really hurt my feelings as an adult when I found out that a lot of the fossils that make up these dinosaurs, they haven't actually found. They found this big bone, and they found that big bone, and they found that big bone, and they kind of had a map to fill out the rest, and then they had the skeleton out there, and they showed me what the dinosaur looks like. But in reality, it, it, it could just be a giraffe. <laughs> now, I don't believe that it is, and I believe there's dinosaurs. I'm not trying to say there weren't dinosaurs, but biblically, we have that knowledge. But when you're dealing with manuscripts, what is a manuscript? What's, how do you define that word? A manuscript is a copy of a copy. So when you hear someone talking about, well, I want a Bible from the original manuscripts, that's an oxymoron. Is there a, can there technically be a such thing as an original manuscript? No, because a manuscript is a copy of a copy of a copy. All right? So just don't let this upset your faith. We believe that this is the full Word of God, plenary. We believe this is the inspired Word of God. We believe this is the inerrant Word of God. We believe this is the infallible Word of God. And in this instance, did the translators mess up Scripture by adding the word gifts there? No, they didn't mess up Scripture. They just added something to clarify. Now, let me give you the flip side there. J. Vernon McGee. Did any of you ever get to hear him live or even meet him or come into contact with him when he was living? We did. He comes across in his commentaries as a little bit ornery. Was he this way in the flesh? Don't remember? Okay, well, I like him because of that. He just seems like he gets angry about some things sometimes and he writes about them. J. Vernon McGee says, notice that in the text of your Bible, the word gifts is in italics, which means that that word is not in the original. It was added for the sake of clarity. But very frankly, I don't think adding the word clarified anything. <laughs> Yes, he did. He certainly did. He's got great stories from that. I, I wish I knew where it was. Do you know where it was? Okay. Maybe. He goes on to say, I don't think it clarified anything. Actually, it has added confusion. I agree with J. Vernon McGee in this instance. He says the Greek word literally means spiritualities. It is in contrast to carnalities. Now go to verse three. That's exactly what Paul says. He says, wherefore, I give to you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed. That's a carnality. And that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. That's a spirituality. So when we understand, now, don't, don't, don't get me or J. Vernon McGee wrong. What is Paul writing about in context? He's writing about spiritual gifts. How do we know that? Verse 4. Now there are verse, diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. I want to point this out just to make this read in our brains. If it, the word gifts wasn't there, it would say this. Now concerning spiritual brethren or spiritualities, or we would say in our, our day and age, spiritual things. Concerning spiritual things, brothers, 
I would not have you to be ignorant. Now that is very helpful to think of it this way. The Greek word that this word spiritual or spiritualities is translated from is P-N-E-U-M-A-T-I-K-O-S. Anybody? It makes me think of pneumatics. It's pneumatikos. I had it earlier in my brain. I listened to a recording on YouTube of how to pronounce this word. I was going to say it. I've forgotten already. The, go, the, the folks in Corinth, though, were very spiritual. But I want you to know they were very spiritual before they were ever converted and before they ever received the Holy Spirit. This is what we've got to not miss in verse one. You see, we live in a day and age where there's a lot of people who are very spiritual. I don't mean they're holy spiritual. I mean they're carnally spiritual. And so Paul writes to the church in Corinth and he says, look, you were saved out of some very major carnalities and you've been given the Holy Spirit. But now the church in Corinth, what are they doing? They're turning back to their pagan ways. They're turning back to their carnal things and calling it worship of God. And so Paul says to them concerning these spiritual things, I don't want you to be ignorant. Ignorant is not an insult. I know we might say in our words, he's some kind of ignoramus. What ignorant just means is they are without the proper information. So sometimes I'm ignorant. Sometimes you're ignorant. The people in Corinth here were being ignorant in this regard. So Paul writes to them up against what we'll call their previous knowledge. Now that little tidbit may or may not apply to you depending on your past experience. If you're raised in church all your life, the only thing spiritual you ever knew about was the Bible and church and the preaching and gospel songs and these types of things, right? Maybe that wasn't your background. Maybe your past experience was involved in spiritual things that were pagan. But we need to be aware of three things. Number one, there is spiritual warfare. Paul is writing to them here, and you could even plug that word in there if you wanted to. Now concerning spiritual warfare. Now concerning spiritual gifts. Now concerning spiritual things. There is spiritual warfare. We must not forget that. We mustn't forget that while we're basking in the indwelling and the filling of the Holy Spirit, how it empowers the believer, that Satan's working just as hard with his to fill them and indwell them and empower them against us. This is very important. Number two, we are indwelt, filled, and helped by God's Spirit. So yes, there is spiritual warfare, but Paul teaches very clearly here, we have God's Holy Spirit to empower us. And then number three, in dealing with the things of the spirit realm, we mustn't ignore that there are also unholy spirits at work. You get into saying, well, I just want to let the Holy Spirit guide me. I want to listen to the Holy Spirit. I want to be obedient to the Holy Spirit. I want to be led of the Spirit. Well, be sure you're discerning which spirit you're being led of. This is what Paul has to say here. He says, if he's saying, verse number three, somebody saying Jesus is accursed, what spirit is that? That's not the spirit of God. It's kind of like, uh, who was it that tried to worship an angel in the Bible? Was it John, maybe? An angel said something to him. Anyway, an angel brought a message to somebody and they kind of bowed down and on. The angel says, don't worship me. That's for God alone. Well, well the, the, the flip side of that story would be, should the angel receive your praise, what kind of angel do you know that to be? Well, that'd be a demon, wasn't it? Lucifer's cast down because he wanted to receive God's 
praise. So we have to keep these kind of things in mind. It's, it's great to come in and get your little list here. These are spiritual gifts. Here's how I feel. like I took the test. This is how I feel like I'm gifted. So I'm going to work really hard to be this way and, and then go at it like that. But we can't step past these things. Concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, Paul doesn't want us to be ignorant. You were Gentiles. You were carried away to these dumb idols. I'm glad he called them that. Because that's, exa- that's exactly what idols are. I don't mean it in the way Paul means it here. I mean it in the way that they're just foolish. They surely are dumb. They're being re- He said, when you guys came to the faith, you're being led around by idols. Now he means they can't speak. Mute. He said, you're being led around by idols who couldn't even speak. Now Paul's already had to write to them in this regard and said, Some of you are having this struggle with this meat sacrifice to idols. And one of his conclusions was, now his ultimate conclusion was, if it offends my brother, then I'm going to prefer my brother over the meat. We understand that. But another one of his conclusions was, we understand that the idol that that meat was sacrificed to is dead. So it means nothing. You can sacrifice it to this one, that one, or the next one. You can still put it on a grill and have a steak. That's how the believer ought to operate. There's no fear for the believer. I'm aware I'm cautious, I'm alert to the spiritual warfare that's going on out there, but in the end, I'm on the winning side. In the end, I'm empowered by God, not even one of God's angels. And we like this idea of a guardian angel. Well, do you know what you have better than a guardian angel? God himself indwells you. That's way more powerful than angels. I mean, praise the Lord for angels. They're functional and they're helpful and they play a great role, but you have the Holy Spirit. It's a wonderful thought. So Paul says here, Corinthians, why would you turn back to some pagan form of worship because you had this experience in the past and take on these things when these were just things that you did for dumb idols? They were foolish. They had no arms. They had no legs. They couldn't walk. They couldn't talk. They couldn't hear your worship. They couldn't hear your cries. Other portions of Scripture speak in this same way. Psalm 115 verse 5 says of idols, they have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. You imagine going through life, worshiping a God that you really knew deep down in your heart couldn't actually see you. Versus our God, who on your darkest day, when you're wondering, God, do you remember that I'm still here? You know down inside of you that he does. Even nature itself has revealed it to you. Jeremiah 10, 5 says of the idols, they are as upright as the palm tree, but speak not. They must needs be born because they cannot go. Be not afraid of them, for they cannot do evil. Neither also is it in them to do good. Oh, a voodoo lady put a curse on me. Do we have to worry about this? Only if you're worried about it. If you're not worried about it, you don't have to worry about it because they can do nothing. They had to be born. Our God has always been. They cannot go. Our God is everywhere. Praise the Lord. Aren't you glad for our God? Aren't you glad for the word that teaches us about our God? Amen. So Paul makes the point here that though as pagans, they had these religious experiences, they had to learn to distinguish the Holy Spirit gifts. And that's what he alludes to there in verse number three. Now don't be taken, too taken with the term gifts. The gift is simply the human manifestation. What is actually the gift? The Holy Spirit. God is the gift. 
You want the gift of God? You want a gift of the Spirit in your life? Don't take the list I gave you and find one of those and say, oh, I'd like to have that gift. Know within yourself that God has given you Himself and He is the gift. Oh, I want to heal. I want to speak in tongues. I want to be a, what are some of the other ones? I didn't keep a list. What are some other ones? I want to be able to teach. Just somebody just pop off a bunch of them. Miracles. Distinguishing of spirits. Wisdom. Yeah. We, we, we often want to long for all of these things. In fact, Paul says here, but covet earnestly the best gifts, but I'm showing you a more excellent way. Well, he's already started in on that before he ever gets there. We have God. God's Holy Spirit indwells us. Jesus said, I'm going away, but I'll send you another. A comforter, a better, he even said. So praise the Lord for that. The Corinthians either had been, or Paul fears they have the potential to be committing what we'll call spiritual malpractice in regards to the Holy Spirit because of these pagan, pagan understandings they have from prior religious experience. So he wants them to note, and Pratt, Richard Pratt says, if a religious experience does not honor Christ as Lord, then it is not from the Spirit. And if it does, then the Holy Spirit may be behind the experience. That's what he says there in verse three. No man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. Now that these Corinthians are saved, the believers must know how to judge spirit manifestations, how to judge between the voice of evil spirits and the authentic voice of God's Holy Spirit. And the crucial test of that is the testimony given in regards to Jesus Christ. If someone says Jesus is accursed in any form or fashion, this is not of God. The Spirit of God would never lead anyone to speak of the Savior in this way. The Spirit's ministry is to exalt the Lord Jesus. He indwells you. He empowers you. He guides you into all truth. He eliminates the Scriptures for you. But you are not His ministry. Jesus is His ministry. You are the work. He ministers on you and through you for the sake of Jesus Christ. The Spirit leads people. To say that Jesus is Lord, not just with their lips, but also with their living. Warren Wiersbe said well here on this verse, any so-called spirit manifestation that robs a person of self-control is not of God, for the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. We think of the gifts of the Spirit, but we often need to remind ourselves to offset that with the fruit of the Spirit. And that goes back over here to chapter 13, verse 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not love, I am nothing. If I can do some dramatic Holy Spirit thing, but I don't have self-control, was that the Spirit or not? It couldn't be the Spirit because I would have to have self-control. If I could do some, what we think is a Holy Spirit-empowered thing, but I didn't have meekness, well, the fruit doesn't line up with that, does it? In fact, I would th say that before we even start thinking about our spiritual giftedness, we should look around for the spiritual fruitfulness and allow the fruit of the Spirit to be our primary function as we operate within the gifting that the Holy Spirit has given us here. I think this is what Paul is saying to the Corinthians. You're putting all this emphasis on these gifts. And he says, I want you to earnestly desire it. But he's going to lay out this case for them that only to the end that they're intended. It's like money. 
Love of money is a horrible thing. But aren't you glad to have money when you need to use it as a tool in your life? Pretty nice to be able to spend the money to turn on the lights, isn't it? I love spending my money that way. And air conditioning and heat, these are wonderful things. Maybe is it wrong to love electricity? <laughs> if we operate toward money just so we can have money and, in, and it's to the expense of these things that money is intended for, we're missing the point. It's a tool, it's a currency. And so it is with the Holy Spirit. The whole reason that we are giving these gifts is so that we can function as the body of Christ to do the work that God intends us to do. And he's going to lay that case out for us here, and I'll get to that in a moment. Back to verses 1 through 3 as we think about uh, being aware, using discernment against the Spirit here. I think John Calvin balances very well our own ability and discernment and that which we now have through the Holy Spirit. Listen to what he says. Let us learn from this passage how great is the blindness of the human mind when it is without the illumination of the Holy Spirit inasmuch as it stands in amazement at dumb idols and cannot rise higher in searching after God. That's something. What is the human mind minus the Holy Spirit? Amazed at dumb idols and doesn't know how to search after God. Well, what is the human mind empowered by the Holy Spirit? The complete opposite of those things. Now, one other note as we get into these waters, and I said this to you before, Paul doesn't write this and break fellowship with the Corinthian church. He writes this and says, brothers, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant here. There's, there's a, you're, you're in error and there's room for correction. They understood the spirit differently, but he still considered them brothers in the family of God. Now, I want to pause for just a moment. We're going to get to verse four, five, and six, but if you, I want you to give me five or six minutes here and just talk to you generally from a theological position about spiritual gifts. First, I want to define spiritual gifts. And, and I'm going to use a definition from John MacArthur, and I will say to you, and I'll explain this in just a moment, that I would even say that if, if John MacArthur stood here and I stood there, he and I would disagree about the Holy Spirit. But we're, we're not going to see eye to eye on these things. But I like his definition of spiritual gifts, and I think it's a good one. He calls spiritual gifts divine enablements for ministry that the Holy Spirit gives in some measure to all believers that are to be completely under his control and used for the building of the church for Christ's glory. Let me give you that again. Spiritual gifts are divine enablements, enablements for ministry that the Holy Spirit gives in some measure to all believers and that are to be completely under his control and used for the building of the church to Christ's glory. Now that is a great definition for when you say, well, what is a spiritual gift? Well, that is it. But there's controversy over whether the supernatural manifestations of the Holy Spirit listed in this passage continue in today's church. Surely they existed then. Paul writes about them. We see them happening in the lives of especially the apostles, but throughout the early church, we see some of these things as part of their practice. So what about us? Should we still be practicing these things? Is it an accusation on the modern church that we aren't seeing these manifestations to mean that we are kind of dead to the Holy Spirit? I think it's good for us to consider that. Should we expect to be used by God's Spirit toward the ends that we read about here tonight? Now this controversy generally centers around the issue of special revelation. Somebody give me one really great example of this is special revelation. 
There's one blaring obvious thing that is special revelation. The revelation uh, John has that he wrote down in Revelation? Yes, but think larger than that. That and what other books? The whole Bible. The whole Bible is special revelation, meaning God gave it to humans directly for a purpose. What would be general revelation? The birds singing, the sky that's blue. These are things that are general revelation, that there's a creator, there's something bigger than me. Right? So special revelation, general revelation. Now, some interpreters believe that special revelation continues right up to today, 2023. We should be looking for, experiencing, and involved with special revelation. Some believe that when the scriptures were completed, that that was the end of special revelation. And for you to be, to, to talk to God, that it would have to come directly from the scripture. So there's kind of this, I don't want to call it banging of heads, but there's this, this side picking over this. Did you do this at recess and your kid playing tag? All right, we're going to play tag. Well, I'm on this team. Well, I'm on this team. I'm on this team. I'm on this team. And you wanted to be on the teams if you were smart with the fast people. But if you were just nice and kind and you liked people, you didn't care how fast they were. You got on there with your buddies. So if you're a people person, that was it. If you were a go-getter and you were going to become a CEO in life, you got on the fast people. And you said, now y'all run fast and don't let me get caught. This is, this is what's going on theologically. Have the gifts ceased or do the gifts continue? Some believe they continue. Others deny the giving of any new special revelation. And then I think there is middle ground that the giving of the special revelation of the canon is complete, though God can still do miraculous things and still speaks to his people by the word and by his spirit. And generally, when you deal with the three views that I'm going to teach you tonight, there are those who would be on one view because they would say it's all or nothing. Either all of the gifts continue or all of the gifts cease, or they would say you know, they all ceased or they all continue or they all you know, cease, continue. Middle ground would be, well, these things cease, but these things continue. So let's, let's talk about that. The first view would be the view of continuation. They believe that the infallible transmission of special revelation ceased with the closure of Scripture. That God continues to speak to his church through apostles, prophets, and through other supernatural means, through tongues, through words of knowledge, through words of wisdom. So the infallible transmission of special revelation ceased with the closure of Scripture, but God continues to speak to his church through apostles, through prophets, through other supernatural means, through tongues, through words of knowledge, through words of wisdom. Now, part of this you can already pick off as problematic because I have been hard-nosed to teach you that apostleship ceased when? When the last apostle died. <laughs> That's that. You can take an eschatological point of view there, a doctrine of the end things, because we know that the, there's going to be 12 apostles in the end times and around the throne. This laid out pretty clearly in Revelation. So apostolic secession, who, who most predominantly practices that in the world today? Roman Catholics. The Pope is the, the apostle. He's the guy. It was Peter and Paul and James and John, and now it's Pope this and Pope this and Pope this. Pope. They're continuing this laying on of hands and passing down this apostleship, right? But we would believe that there's a limited number of apostles, and when the last one died, that 
the apostles ceased. So in the continuation view, I was going to try to teach you these and not be biased, but I guess I'm being biased. Don't believe the continuation view. All right. These groups apply Paul's discussion of spiritual gifts such as tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy directly to their own situations because they believe these manifestations of the Spirit continue in modern times. So the continuationists believe that this is fully the Word of God. They don't disagree with us on the Word of God. So can I be friends with a continuationist? I'm sure you can. They believe this is the full Word of God. They're not expecting a Third Testament. They are not. Now, there are some out there who like that. We'll call them something else. What do we call those people? Mormons. <laughs> Mormons, yes. What else? Heretics. What else? It could be an apostate. It could be a false prophet, Right. I'm talking about people who just, they they believe this is the word. But in that group of people who believe this is God's full word, they believe that God continues to speak through apostles, prophets, other supernatural means, that tongues, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, these are ways that God continues to speak. All right. The biggest one for us that would be a disregard there is they believe that apostles have not ceased, that prophets, and that goes into how you define prophecy. All right, the, the other side of that would be the cessationist point of view. And these are words that theologians like to make. You know, they're the same as any other profession. Do your doctor talk to you in words you don't understand? Theologians like to talk to us in words we don't understand. But these ones are kind of easy. Continuationist believe it continues. Cessationist believes it ceased. Right, that's the idea. That's the two sides. The cessationist believes that all supernatural special revelation has ceased. God communicates with his church today only through the scriptures. The miraculous gifts seen in the New Testament has ceased. Miracles existed to demonstrate the authority of God's prophets, the apostles, or any of his spokespersons. So the reason there were miracles was so that there was given authority to a spokesperson for God's other means. When God stopped speaking infallibly through his spokespersons, the spirit stopped bestowing miraculous gifts to affirm. In this view, Paul's writing here on the supernatural gifts is largely irrelevant because these gifts no longer exist. In fact, some of you probably can remember in like 2011, 2012, I preached to you this particular passage. Some of you are grinning now, I'm getting embarrassed. And I preached hard on a cessationist point of view. And I, I went through these gifts one by one and tried to show you exactly why they've all ceased. And I've tried to live that <laughs> For a while now, and I keep getting proven wrong. So I'm in the middle camp now. Is that all right if I change teams? Does this offend anybody? The, so you have those who think it continues, those who think it ceased, and then there's just the middle, the modification view. This view is that significant changes have taken place between the days of Paul and our day. That's factual. There are significant changes that have taken place since then. First, the offices of apostle and prophet were foundational offices of the church that would abide with Ephesians 2.20. He gave some apostles, some prophets, right? What, what did we end up with there? We didn't get left with apostles and prophets according to Ephesians 2.20. We got left with pastors, teachers, right? That's kind of what we got left with there. That these were designed specifically to transmit special revelation to the church in its own early stages, these offices of apostle and prophet. But in this view, these offices have ceased, I hold to that. We teach that here at our church. I think that lines up with our church's uh, statement of faith. I think it aligns up with the doctrines that we confess together on Sunday mornings. Second, 
in this view, manifestations such as tongues, prophecies, messages of wisdom or knowledge have gone through modifications with the cessation of the apostles and the prophets. So would they be the same now as they were then? Can't be. There are no more apostles. Okay. In this view, none of these gifts provides direct, infallible, special revelation. Somebody says, well, I, I speak in tongues. You know, I guess if they were doing it in a biblical way and having it interpreted in a biblical way and they weren't doing anything outside of Scripture, we, we couldn't argue with them, except if they were saying, I speak in tongues and I'm given special revelation through those tongues. Then we would say, well, there's where I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to split ways with you there. Okay, the way my pastor always handled that growing up, he would say, we're a little bit Baptecostal around here, but we'll warn you if you start speaking in tongues, we're going to interpret and you're not going to like our interpretation. <laughs> he would usually say something like, we've got a $900,000 mortgage on this place. We're going to say that God told you to pay it off. <laughs> William Pratt, speaking of the, the middle view here, he says, through fallible pastors, teachers, and the like, God leads the church into proper application of his word in scripture through preaching, intuitions, advice, and evaluations of circumstances. I think that's a good way to think of spiritual giftedness. This view holds that every point, that at every point, these teachings must be evaluated carefully by the scriptures. So if I come to you and I say, I, I, I think the Holy Spirit's given me a word of wisdom that could be helpful to you. Do you just take that blindly? No, you say, well, that lines up with scripture, so I'm gonna take that under consideration. Or you could say, no, you're basically saying Jesus is accursed, so that must have been a demon that was talking to you, not the Holy Spirit, right? I think this is a good view. It's a good way to go at things. These groups apply these passages indirectly to their churches, adjusting the applications of the passages to account for current circumstances wherein infallible special revelation no longer occurs. So I'm going to teach and preach you the infallible special revelation, but I'm going to offer you multiple applications based off current situations. So the interpretation never changes. The application is the thing that is flexible. Could you, in, could you apply a passage from 1st, 2nd, or 3rd John differently here than you could in China on the same day and the same time? Certainly you could. Freedom of religion. It's going gonna, it's gonna to apply differently. Does it interpret differently? Never. It's got to have the same interpretation. And I think that's a thing for Christians that we often mistake. In the American church, we like the American interpretation of things seen through our point of view and our eyes. You might interpret your Bible a little bit differently if you could get rid of presuppositions. Is that possible? No, you can't wipe your brain. But you go live in another place for a while and you might start seeing a passage through different eyes. That's why it's important to be worshiping with other Christians with lots of different perspectives, be reading from trusted people in regards to the scriptures and be reading. I like to read from different places than me, like European preachers, not just all American preachers and at different times of life than me. European preachers from the 1500s if I can get the same interpretation that they get, I'm on pretty solid ground. If I'm interpreting it different than, they, than them most of the time, either they're fully wrong and they were only seeing it through the eyes of their generation or I'm fully wrong and I'm only seeing it through the eyes of my generation. It's a unique thing, isn't it? 
So the middle view here, they hold that at every point, a word of advice, a word of wisdom, preaching, an intuition, whatever you want to call it, should be evaluated by the scriptures, that the interpretation is sound, but they are adjusted applications based off the current circumstances. The third thing, they believe Paul's words still give the church guidance for managing current manifestations of the Spirit corresponding to those in Corinth. That is to mean we don't see the next several verses here as irrelevant because all of these things have ceased. I think that's a, that's a, that's a bad way to approach the text. Why would God have it in the Word for eternity if it's something that doesn't exist at all for us now? It's kind of, that, we would call that useless. And I wouldn't think anything in the Word is useless. Everything in the Word is useful, even them lists of names. <laughs> all right, so continuation, continued, ceased, somewhere in the middle. I find myself somewhere in the middle. All right, let me give you verse 4, 5, and 6, and then I'll let us go home. And then we'll pick up from there. Verse 4, 5, and 6 teach us that there is a distribution of varying gifts. He says, now there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but is the same God which worketh in all. But the manifestation of the spirit is given to every man to profit with all. Now use verse 7 as your premise to understand 4, 5, and 6. What is the manifestation of the Spirit? You have the Spirit. The gifts, these actions, these, these workable things in your life are the manifestations of the Spirit. And why are they given? It's not so much for your profit or your glory or your edification. They are given to profit who? With all. Who is that? The body of Christ. All of us. All right, now, 4, 5, and 6, he's going to lay out how this works. In order to have the unity that the church is supposed to have, God has given each of us different gifts. He's given different gifts to different individuals. And before we dig much deeper into this, I want you to see the, the use of the Trinity in full from verse 4, 5, and 6. He says here, there are diversities of gifts, but the same what? Spirit. And there are differences of administration, but the same. Who is that? That's Jesus. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same who? God. God the Father. So God the Spirit, God the Son, God the Father, all in this outline that he lays for us on how these manifestations of the Spirit work to the edification of the church. So we've always got to keep in mind that the three are one. It's easy for the Baptist to focus solely on Jesus. We love Jesus and we want the whole world to love Jesus. That's a very modern Baptist in the South point of view. Billy Graham, right? <laughs> Come to Jesus. He loves you and he wants you to love him back. Right? I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying that's where we find ourselves often. It's easy for Reformed Baptist to focus solely on who? God the Father. The awe of God the Father. He is sovereign. He is omnipotent. He is omnipresent. He is all-knowing. Boy, he's just, he's wonderful. He's up here. If you only stayed over in that camp, sometimes you'd forget that he came down and he lived among us and he died that we could be redeemed, right? And then it's easy for the Bapticostals, or that term, to focus only ever on who? The Holy Spirit, right? And you, you get where I'm going there. So verse four here, he begins by saying, there's a variety of gifts, 
but the same spirit. Not just speaking in tongues. And I pick on speaking in tongues tonight, mostly because I, I think that's kind of the accepted view of what, what the Corinthian church was overdoing here. I think Paul was having to write to them and saying, like, you're, you're giving way too much time and effort to this. It could be something different in our culture, in our tradition. So whatever we might be over-focusing on or over-using or over-manifesting, Paul says here, it's not just that. There's a variety of gifts. So if someone says, oh, well, you've got to have this gift of the Spirit evident in your life to be saved. What can your brain say? It's not true. You just have to have the Spirit in order to be saved. How do we know we have the Spirit? John laid that out really, really easily, didn't he? He says, you, you, quit, you quit your sinning, or at least you try to. You love the brethren. Then you know that you have Christ, and you speak truly about Christ. So it's not just speaking in tongues. There's a variety of gifts, though the same Spirit. The unity of the church doesn't come from the manifestation of one gift, rather from the indwelling of one Spirit. That's what we have to know. He will manifest a variety of gifts within the church. But, but it's not this, that, or the other. It's Holy Spirit, who is God. We're giving the focus back to God. Now, from verse 4, we see that from the Spirit comes a variety of gifts. Then in verse 5, he says, And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. So verse 4, the Spirit gives a variety of gifts. Verse five, from these gifts comes a variety of ministries, though it's the same Jesus. And then verse six adds to that, from these ministries comes a variety of activities in which God produces the results. So there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. There are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. You couldn't hardly preach this at a church unity conference. There's too many differences and diversities mentioned in these passages. But this is exactly how the Holy Spirit tells Paul to lay out, this is how the church should function in unity. How? The Spirit's going to give you all a variety of gifts, from that, it's going to produce a variety of ministries. Whoa, 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 I thought this was all one ministry and Chance was in charge. No, that's not what he says. He says, you're all gifted individually and you have a variety of ministries. Ministry just means serving the Lord. To minister is to serve the Lord by serving others, right? A variety of serving, but it's the same Jesus. And from these ministries comes a variety of activities. And these activities aren't the end all. You say, well, I read my Bible every day. Great. I pray without ceasing. Great. I'm a witness everywhere I go. Great. These activities aren't the end all. Those things don't produce the results. God produces the results. The, the Greek word there is energema. E-N-E-R-G-E-M-A. What word does that make you think of? Energy. It's different than our energy. The Greek word means something implemented with a calculated result or effect due to the energy source used. Hmm. There's actually only one thing in life that could ever be that. What is the only thing that you could implement with a calculated result or effect due to the energy source used? That's the Holy Spirit. 
Praise the Lord. Just as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit work together, brother, sister, and the family of God must work together within the church, though we're different in our gifting, though we're different in our focus, though we're different in our activities. And never should we be divided over we should be doing this instead of doing that because based off the very gifting and the very ministry of service that God has given us to do, he's going to provide the activities that will lead to the desired effect he wants to have if we're letting the Holy Spirit of God be our God. It's wonderful to think about. Kind of makes it a little bit too easy, doesn't it? Well, the hard part goes back to verse 1, 2, and 3. Because the Corinthians were awful carnal. They were awful pagan in there as they came along. I would say to us, we, don't, we may not all have that dramatic of a change. Larger percentage of us probably grew up somewhat religious. Problem with that in the American church is we've kind of been able to overlay one with the other. Americanism with Christianity. Capitalism with Christianity. Consumerism with Christianity. And we've just kind of been able to say, well, well, I'm, I'm a good person because Jesus has made me good and the things that we decide to do, they're okay because we're a Christian nation. You might find that if you truly submitted yourself to the Word of God through the Holy Spirit's teaching, He might change your ideas about some of the things in life that you think are, I'm putting up quote fingers here, Christian. Be amazing to see. There are various gifts, and we're going to get into the various gifts that we find here in the Corinthian church. But I don't know that Paul is necessarily laying these things out for the Corinthian church to say, all right, now some of you need to be doing this and some of you need to be doing this and some of you need to be doing that because that's not how he introduces it. He says, we all need to understand that there's varying gifts given to the Spirit. This leads to different areas of service, though we all serve Jesus and under God, he is going to energize what it is that he would have us to do. You think that could look different in the church at Harpeth and the church at Corinth? It certainly could. And based off the church at Corinth, we would say there's some things there that we should likely avoid. Paul's going to make that case for them as we move on. All right.